jail that night. Still Paul and Silas would not be dismayed. They said it's time to lift our voice. Sing praises to the Lord. Let's prove that we will trust him. Come what may. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you sing. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man is spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. He loves to hear our praise on our cheerful days when the pleasant times outweigh the bad by far. But when suffering comes along and we still see despair is all you sing. God wants to hear your voice when the wisest man is spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. God wants to hear you sing when the way your circumstances as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. That's when God wants to hear you sing. Hear you sing. God wants to hear us sing, amen? He wants us to praise his name, amen? Well, tonight, <clears throat> we've been um, looking forward to our new member's reception, and so I wanted to discuss and talk a little bit about tonight. I just want to talk about this subject, evidence for local church membership. I mean, why in the world, um, I mean, is local church membership necessary? I mean, is it, um, is it required? Why, why, and if it is, why? I mean, what scriptural evidence is there that reveals the need to join and participate in the local New Testament church? I think that's a good question, right? 
And so early on in the book of Acts, we see church membership being endorsed and being encouraged. Take your Bible, look over the book of Acts chapter 2. We'll go ahead and uh, we'll read just a few scriptures here in the book of Acts chapter 2, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and I'm going to give you today, I'm just going to share with you five thoughts today, five reasons, if you would, and uh, we'll go from there, okay? So let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Now we understand that Pentecost has taken place, and of course the Holy Spirit has descended now and empowered the church. And we notice in chapter 2, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as having man as every man needed had need excuse me and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved <clears throat> We're going to look at a number of reasons today, five in particular, of evidences that reveal something important, uh, something valuable when it comes to the church uh, Christian faith. Things that would be minimized, things that might even be denied if there was no definable local church membership. And I want to point out just five of those. I mean, what evidence actually exists? And um, we're going to take a look at that tonight, okay? So let me give you just a couple of things. Before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Father, bless us tonight. Lord, we just want to learn something from your scriptures. Lord, may you just take us through the word of God, and may we be, Father, more than ever convinced that local church membership is biblical and scriptural. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would just bless us tonight and encourage us. Lord, we're excited about our new new members' reception, and Lord, just the opportunity to uh, not only welcome some of those newest members, but even some that have been around a little while that, Father, have joined uh, even as we were entering, exiting COVID and so forth. We just pray, dear God, that you'd just help us to have a good evening. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so five things. Let's t- consider five reasons or things that reveal the need to join and participate in the local New Testament church. Number one, the body, the body. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Church membership is implied in the metaphor of a body, the body of Christ. Uh, We're going to see this here. He's talking about a body, and we're going to see that God intends us to be a part of that body. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. We're going to read through verse 26 to begin with. And again, uh, there's nothing going to say, thou shalt join a local church and submit to the leadership. You don't see that in the scripture, not like that, okay? There's a lot of things in the Bible, by the way, that do not spell it out that way. If that was the case, can you imagine if every generation and with all the different nuances of language and just everything that changes through the years, if God had to actually say exactly every little thing that you and I are supposed to do on every circumstance and every occasion, can you imagine how thick that book would be? 
So what he does, he provides us with principles. He provides us with, with these, these uh, uh, biblical uh, precepts that when we take them and we combine them, we put them together, we recognize there's a principle way which governs our life and our actions, and that's what happens here with church membership. Again, uh, good luck. You say, Pastor, show me in the Bible where I'm supposed to be a member of a church where it flat out says, as a believer in Christ, you are obligated, responsible to be a member of a local New Testament independent Baptist church. I'd say, well, yeah, good luck. But I could tell you a lot of other things that aren't spelled out in the Bible too that, well, are pretty clearly defined if you take the principles that God has given us. So let's take some principles. Let's look at the body, first of all. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. The Bible says, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. And one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now let me just start off by saying simply this. As we start talking about the local church, we're talking about local churches. It's very important to understand this. So many people would like to run to certain scriptures in the Bible that would say then, well, what God's talking about, when he talks about the church, he's talking about the universal church, and that's the body he's always referring to in the Bible. Well, I, I dare to say that's a, a real stretch, if not only, not only is it a stretch, but it's not scriptural even, because the fact is that the Apostle Paul most often addressed churches in specific geographical locations. He specifically pointed to churches in specific locations. You say, is there, a, is there a universal church? Not yet. Not in that sense. We're all part of the body of Christ, yes, but we are not an assembly yet. You do not function or operate, nor do I, outside of the local church today. Amen. Why? Because it's not, it doesn't exist yet. It's spiritual. It's not physical and we are addressing physical issues on earth, therefore God operates and works through the local independent, the visible local independent church. And that's exactly who is being addressed in most passages in the scriptures. We see here in the book of 1 Corinthians, turn if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He says there, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Listen, he's talking to the church, he says, which is at Corinth. The church, which is at Corinth. It's a local, independent body of believers. A called out assembly. There they are. They're at Corinth. They're not in Galatia. They're, they're not in Thessalonica. They're in Corinth. And Thessalonica has no say in their matters. 
Nobody's telling them how to function and operate in their church. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth trying to give them instruction from God. But as the Word of God was written and, and, and shared with us and ultimately canonized, we have a scripture that now goes out to each and every one of us and every local church is obligated and responsible to fulfill the responsibilities that are outlined in scripture. But we are independent. For instance, if you were in Corinth in that day, I don't think you could have taken a train over to Thessalonica. You couldn't have caught a flight over to the church in Russia. Do you understand where I'm going? In those days, more than ever, the churches were independent. In those days, more than ever, they were localized because people couldn't travel even the way we do today. Go ahead. The next time somebody in your, your household ends up in a hospital, and, you, you, and if the pastor's allowed to visit them, by the way. I got rejected the other day. wasn't even allowed in the hospital to visit a lady. And it's still crazy out there, okay? Every once in a while, I run into uh, insanity. And I think, what is going on here? But nonetheless, if you call and say, Pastor, could you visit so-and-so? And, and I say, why don't you call the church in Russia? Because we're all one big body. We're all one happy family. You'd say, that's stupid. Pastor, you're out of your mind. Have you gone loco? <laughs> I'd say, no, I'd say, well, no, biblically, right? We're all one big happy, the universal body of Christ. You'd say, well, it doesn't work that way. Exactly. It doesn't work that way. God knew that, and so did the Apostle Paul, and God made sure that he addressed and, and spoke to local assemblies. And therefore, we see that in Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 1. We see that again, and we can go through all of the books that the Apostle Paul wrote for the most part, and we're going to see that he addresses them specifically. He says, listen, the churches, sometimes, watch this, he even says churches. He says here, Paul, an apostle, verse 1 of Galatians chapter 1, not of men neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He's writing a, a letter, and he's saying, okay, make sure all the churches, plural, get this. They're not all one church. They're not just one body. They're multiple bodies, multiple churches. And they have their own heads and own leadership. That's why he said, you go ahead and you better, you better get some uh, elders in those churches. And he's talking about pastors. Why? Because every church needs a pastor. By the way, if something happens to Pastor O'Donnell, this church needs a pastor. Don't you, hey, is that still working? Because this is important. Don't, oh, yep. I've, this, hello? It's not working, is it? It just went dead, didn't it? Is it back? Wow. It's, it's weird. You know it's working? Only these are, huh? Okay, let's try this again. Something went crazy up there. All right, that's not going to happen. I'm going to have to use this pulpit mic or use the, the handheld. But. of other bodies. Oh, we're getting it back. 
We may not be able to assist other bodies, but we can't. I mean, we may be able to assist other bodies, but we are not all one big body. And we're glad we're not big bodies, right? So anyway, I'm trying to work on that. Let me see if this one's working now. Because if it is, it'd be a lot easier for me. All right. Not working. Oh, there it is. Okay, good. All right. We got it. Sound effects will always make it better, right? <laughs> you learn that as a dad. But anyway, <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> being in the body, each member then is called upon to contribute. If we're all part of a body, which it does seem to be, uh, it's indicated in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then every person in the body, every part is to contribute. Uh, again, um, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, there's something unnatural about some, uh, there's something unnatural about Christians who attach themselves to bodies of believers but never choose to be a functioning member of it. Listen, it's important that we become members of a local church. The Bible outlines and identifies us as a body, and that body works as a one, uh, one person, if you will. One's hands and feet and arms and legs and ears and eyes and so forth, and it works together. You know, it's very similar, you know, that it's, it's like the, a home. It's like a, a household. I mean, a household, everybody has to participate. Everybody has to contribute. You do your children a disservice if you never permit them or, or force them <laughs> to participate. Everybody needs to pull their weight. Dad, if you're going to go out in the yard and do some yard work, you might want to take the boys with you and get out there and do some yard work. You might want to put the girls to work somewhere. You might want to get them involved. Hey, everybody in the family contributes. Everybody participates. Everybody has to add to the whole. And that's important, and that's true in the church. Just like the home, it's the same thing. Now, why would someone attend a church but hesitate to join? Let me ask you this. Could it be fear of commitment? Could it be? I think it could. You know, society struggles with commitment in a major way today. There's no doubt about that. The, this truth is, in my opinion, no more visible than when considering couples who choose to be together, live together, who will not commit to marriage together. See, one reason for the decline in marriage is the number of couples who are choosing to live together without exchanging rings. In the 1960s, fewer than 500,000 unmarried couples were living together before or instead of getting married. 500,000. You say, that's a lot. Hold on. Listen to this. Just listen to this. That was in the 1960s. By 2012, there was a 900% increase in cohabitating couples. U.S. Census data from, the year, from that year revealed that 7.8 million couples were living together without having walked down the aisle. Now, that's amazing, really, from 500,000 to 7.8 million in 2012. And can I tell you that that number has only increased over these last nine, uh, nine years? <clears throat> that's amazing, really. Now, that, that number, again, continues to increase as young people begin to, as they're marrying later in life. And they no longer see living together as a problem. Do you realize that 78% of 18 to 29-year-olds consider it acceptable to live together without being married. 78%. Now, you know what's so sad about that? Is that some of you don't think there's anything wrong with it, probably. 
Wouldn't that be sad? If percentages are correct, then there's a percentage in here that doesn't either. Now, again, you say, but we're Christians. I know that, and I hope that's the case, and I hope you live according to the Word of God and not by social pressures. Because I'm going to tell you right now, our culture is telling our young people and our adults alike, there is nothing wrong with that kind of immorality. Now, listen, it's a problem. It's a problem. Let, let's just throw it out there. Okay, let me, since we're on the topic, let me just throw it out there. Listen, you may be happy if your unwed daughter gets pregnant. I am not. I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to lay it out on the line now. <clears throat> I'm not happy with that. Can I tell you this too? I don't want to throw a shower for her unless she's repentant of her sin. Did you hear what I said? Please listen closely. Let's throw a shower for so-and-so. Well, have they recognized how wrong what they did was? Well, I mean, we're extremely happy, but I'm not in the least bit happy about someone that went out and disobeyed God's word and ended up in a bad spot, boy or girl. <clears throat> hey, listen, I'm not mad at them in the sense that I'm angry with them. I'm just going to tell you, my heart breaks for them because they've made some decisions that are on a bad road. They're going the wrong direction. They better get it straightened out now or they're going to end up in real problems. Am I supposed to be happy if my child says that they want to be a homosexual? Should I go, well, you know, I need to, I need to encourage them. I need to be a blessing to them. I need to support them in that. You say, how did it turn to this tonight? I have no idea, but you might as well know where this pastor stands because I'm telling you, biblically and scripturally, the Bible does not say, there's nothing good about it. Did you read Romans chapter 1 in your Sunday school class this morning? Did you understand what the Bible was teaching when it talked about that in Romans chapter 1? He's saying that that is sinful, it's wicked. God's wrath is upon those sins. Hey, listen, and those little sins we commit in our heart that nobody knows about, God's not happy with those either. Somebody says to me, some one time they said, you know, isn't it terrible, these homosexuals? And I said, isn't it terrible, these people that live together? And they said, whoa, what are you talking about? And I said, hey, it's still equally sinful in God's eyes. Well, why do we make the distinction? Why, we, we like to do that. You know, we like to have really bad sins, and then we like to have not bad sins, and hardly any sin. And wait a second, let's see it the way God does. You know what? That, that brings conviction to us. But nonetheless, why in the world do they cohabitate? I'll tell you why. By living together before getting married, you go from paying two rents or mortgages to one. From two sets of utilities to one. From two sets of housing maintenance costs to one. That's what the internet told me. And the financial advantages of sharing a living space with your person, with your person, prior to getting married are hard to deny. Going to have a hard time justifying not doing it. It only makes perfect sense, right? Not only that, but by living together, you can break up without a hassle, the hassle of divorce. You know what that is? Let me tell you what that is. It's called convenience. May I just say this? You don't have to agree with it. I believe that when we come to a church and never join a church but want to be a part of it, it's out of convenience. Because therefore, there's no commitment. 
So we see, first of all, why in the world? We, should we? Is it biblical that we ought to be a part of a local church? I believe so. I think that the, 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 the metaphoric body that God creates in it, that he, he expresses to us, is a perfect example of why church membership's needed. The body, independent local bodies, working together as a team, you and I, pulling our weight together, going forward for God's glory. I think it's obvious from that, just that alone. Not only that, but number two, shepherding. You say, well, what, what does that mean? Where are you going with that? Well, church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires pastors to care for the flock they're in charge of. Pastors are required. They're supposed to care for the flock. Uh, the Bible gives pastors a special responsibility to care for a specific group or community of believers. In Acts chapter 20, turn there, would you please? Again, we're just talking about the Bible tonight. See, listen, that's the thing. It's always about the word. Listen, I can justify everything and anything that I want to in my life. I can. Man, if I want to, I can can justify immorality somehow, some way, if I really want to. I'll find a loophole. But listen, we are not, not, you know, backyard lawyers here, so to speak, trying to create loopholes so that we can get out of paying our taxes. Then we are here to say, God, what do you require of me? I want to obey you and I want to follow through with it. I don't want to put you in any position that's awkward. I want to stand before you one day at the judgment seat of Christ and not be ashamed. I want to hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Shepherding. Again, notice Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now notice, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Wait a second. Now we know that's it'd be impossible for me to pastor the entire world, wouldn't it? I couldn't pastor the whole world but God has designated a flock for me. A flock that he's given me. A group of people he's called out of the world and placed into this body. And God said, now you are Pastor O'Donnell. This is your flock. You you must, according to the word of God, be overseer over that flock to feed the church of God. What church? This local church. I can't feed the next local. And I'm going to tell you something. We're running into real problems with live stream. We're running into problems with the internet in this whole area. Because see, what happens is, is that when I ought to be influencing you, if you're not careful, you're going to some other pastor and being influenced by them. That's not God's way. Hey, let me ask you. Back there, you know, way back there, whenever this was written, did they have the internet? Of course they didn't have the internet. I mean, were, were pastors, uh, were people in other churches being listening to messages by other pastors in other cities? Of course not. It was impossible for them to do that. Boy, the devil's wise today. He's creating confusion in our churches. Can you imagine when Pastor O'Donnell stands up here and he preaches a message on why we ought to join the local church and there's some other pastor over there about 20 miles or 50 miles or 100 miles away and one of his people's listening to that and he goes to his pastor and says, you know what Pastor O'Donnell said, don't you? We don't do it this way, but this is how they do it at Community Baptist. 
And he says, yeah, but, but, but we do it different. This is how we do it. Yeah, well, you know what? Their church is doing well, and God's blessing them. Well, I, think that, I think he knows something about that, too. You're not the only one that knows the Bible. You know what we just created? Confusion. A mess in his church. All because we let them listen to me. And that's one of the reasons why, and I keep saying this, but it's going to happen. On Sunday night and Wednesday nights, you're going to have to log in because I don't want people hearing what I'm saying on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights because that's for the family. That's not for the world. We're a church body and we are a family. And there's some family business that takes place. The world will only use that, twist it and turn it and rest it to make us look like we're a bunch of fanatics and nutcases. Sunday morning, we're going to try to keep it a little bit more Sticking to the gospel, sticking to basic fundamentals. But on Sunday night, we're talking about, hey, you want to know why people don't join a church? Man, listen to that guy. He's all stuck up, thinks he's all that. Thinks he knows the Bible better than my pastor. Man, I don't need that junk. Neither do you. And although pastors are encouraged to reach the world, we know they are. They do possess a clear-cut responsibility to minister to a particular flock. Now, if, that, if there's no church, if there's no joining, if there's no membership, there's no designated flock, then how do they know who their flock is? Just anybody, everybody that shows up at any time? Do you know how many people have passed through the doors of Community Baptist Temple? I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how many thousands and thousands have come through the doors over the last 27 years. So every one of them is a member of our church. Or every one, I'm responsible for every one of their lives, every one of their decisions. I'll stand before God and give an account for them. Really? I just don't see it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I think God's a God of order. <clears throat> so we see, first of all, we have this reason, the body. We see shepherding. Number three, here's a good one, discipline. We start talking about, what, are you telling me that, you know, uh, is church membership really necessary? Is it required? Is it something that is a New Testament truth? Absolutely. Because just because of this issue of discipline then. Look what it says. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 18. Church membership is implied by the way the church is supposed to discipline its members then. Uh, the church appears to be, from scripture at least, the final court appeal in matters of church authority. At least as it relates to membership, that is. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> it makes sense. And I know you guys are out there, you're like, why is he even talking about this stuff? We already know it. Because I'm telling you, it's confusing today. People are wondering about these things because the more we move away from commitment, the less people are going to want to make a decision to join a church. They don't want anybody, they don't want to put themselves on the spot. Hey, listen, you know what's happened too, Right? You know, we've got abuse everywhere, we've got problems, we've got pastors that went the wrong direction, we've got people who have said bad things and done bad things to others, and people say, I can't trust them. You know what that affects? Their level of commitment. And they have to be convinced that it's scriptural or they'll never make that commitment again because they have been hurt. But we've got to follow the Word of God. We have got to make up our choices based on scripture, not on our feelings. Notice what it says in Matthew 18, verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. 
I, I do want to be careful with this because the Bible does also talk about if you go to lay a, a gift at the altar, or an offering at the altar, and you know that a brother has ought against you, you have to go try to fix that before you lay that altar, that gift on the altar. Now, this one falls in our category, right? This is the good one. We get to nail them now. <sighs> Thy brother shall trespass against thee. I know what you did to me. I'm going to go tell you now. Tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Hey, I got, I, I got to talk to you. Now, if it's legitimately a fault, we're not talking about, you know, we're walking through the hall and we said, hey, brother, how you doing? And he walked by. He didn't even shake my hand. Man, that dude, he dissed me. Man, I'm telling you what, I thought he's supposed to be a brother in Christ. He don't care about nobody. It's all about him. Well, that's not what the passage is talking about. Okay, be careful with that one, okay? This is one of those deals where maybe you lent your mower to somebody and it blew up in their possession. And they said, sorry, yon yon. And you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second now. I bought, let you lend. I lent it to you and you destroyed it. You hit a big old rock and wrecked it. You should take care of that. I mean, that's just an example, but I'm sure there's a number of other things we could talk about in this particular light. But notice he goes on to say, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. That'd be a good thing before we broadcast it to everybody in the church, wouldn't it? Did you see what he did? I lent him that thing, and he just destroyed it, and now he's giving me trouble. I asked him if he's going to replace it, and he said he'd have to pray about it. And she gets... Did you hear what's going on with brother so-and-so? And so you hear what's happening, don't you? Well, we don't use that anymore. Well, Facebook post said, right? Our whole lives are out there now, right? Wait a second. He said between, hey, wait, he says here in the passage, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Before you share that with everybody else, you go to him personally. It's probably going to get resolved in most cases. If he shall hear thee, thou gain thy brother. Man, your relationship is restored. Everything's fine again. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. That's witnesses now. That you're addressing it in a Christ-like manner. And they can hear overhear the situation. And they, they go and they, they hear how he responds, how you've responded. And they try to kind of bring it to a place where, wow, okay, maybe I can help you with this. And brother so-and-so, that is wrong. We need to get that right. Uh, working together on it. And then finally, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be as thee, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now, now listen, we're getting a kind of a, an outline of how to address personal problems and issues within the context of even our faith. And that's what we're seeing. Hold on. And if he neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Can I ask you who the church is? There has, to be, there has to be a designated group. I mean, can you imagine way back then again when this was written? Would you please uh, send out letters by way of uh, horse? And they get all the way over to Rome and they hand it to him and say, John Smith, he just destroyed his mower. What do you guys think? And then you'd have to contact every church in the entire world so that the church could handle it. You say, that's dumb. Exactly. 
It makes no sense. Because God addresses and deals with us as a body of local, independent churches. We are autonomous. We're not part of a convention. We're not part of a group. We have Christ as our head, and the pastor's the under-shepherd, and you are the body. And that body of believers will have to address this issue. Because if there's no church membership then there's nobody to encourage this person to turn from their, 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 their ways and repent. And who in the world, by the way, is going to volunteer to submit to that kind of scrutiny if not a member already? Well, you can't even keep, I mean, this kind of stuff happens in churches today. We say, I'm out. I mean, are you kidding me? <clears throat> you don't like it? You're going to make a big deal what I did? Like you don't have your own sin? I'm out. I'll find somewhere else to serve the Lord. Did the Lord send you here? Well, yeah, but he obviously is sending me away now. Why do you think that? Because it ain't turning out the way I thought. Yeah, were you still married? Did it turn out exactly like you thought? Some of you, you'd have to say, nope, but you're still married. Why? Because you made a commitment. You say, man, preacher must be on steroids today. (laughs) Notice the scripture says, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, again, the church has to be a definable group to handle such a weighty matter. There's no doubt. Now, let's go number four. This one goes along with discipline. Excommunication. Big word, right? Now, rarely does it come to that anymore these days, does it? But praise the Lord for church members who have made up their mind that Well, God's right. We're going to go through it and deal with it, do what's necessary and needful. But the fact that excommunication exists implies church membership. Look at you in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12. We see in this particular passage that Paul is dealing with putting someone out of the church for the time being. The goal wasn't to leave them outside the church. The goal was to separate them from the church for the express purpose of causing them to recognize what they have lost so that they would want to be reunited again. And they would discard the sin in their life so that they could have fellowship again with the saints. Now, let's be frank. One of the reasons why it's difficult in the New Testament to separate sometimes this idea of local independent churches from this, this general or this body of believers, you know, this universal body, is because there weren't as many bodies. So guess what happened if you got kicked out of the church? You didn't have nowhere else to go. It was a big deal. And by the way, when you've got Romans and you've got Judaizers coming down going, hey, you said you was a Christian. Hey, listen, we hate your guts and we're going to throw you in jail and we're going to take care of you and, throw, and, and maybe even kill you and your family will have nobody to take care of them. And you say, man, I need to be a part of a local church in case something happens to me for being a witness for Christ. Somebody else will stamp up and take care of my family in my absence. And we don't deal with the stuff they dealt with. And we just think, well, it's stupid. That stuff's dumb. That was archaic. That's so mean and nasty. That's so... 
No, God was using the societal pressures at that point to say, listen, you are part of the local body. Can you understand how important it is to become a good a member in good standing in a local church then? You, we don't realize how much we need the church. You know why? We haven't endured persecution yet. We don't have a clue what it's like to do without each other in the midst of persecution yet. But once the persecution comes, we will recognize this is the only place where we find encouragement and strength and hope and help. This will be it. I mean, I'll be running over to Brother Joe and saying, you're going to have to feed me. And Brother Joe will open his house up gladly and feed the preacher. Take care of me. Right, Brother Joe. Just setting that one up for later, just in case. But notice he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 12, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? Hey, wait a second, whatever happened to that thought, don't judge me. God's my judge. What are you judging me for? You, you, don't judge me. The Bible says here to the local church at Corinthians, there's a man here that's living in open sin and rebellion against God and his word. And the Bible says here, do ye not judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Those that are outside of this body of believers, those that are not part of the, 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 the family of God and in a local assembly, he says, God will deal with them. You don't worry about them. God will judge them, but you have to judge amongst one another. Boy, we have been taught wrong in the world we live in. Man, the world says to you today, you don't let nobody judge you. If you don't want to do what they say, that's your business. They have no right telling you it's wrong. Don't judge. Don't let, you shouldn't be judging people, pastor. I'm not judging people. I'm judging actions. And you know what? You do too. You just don't look at it the way I do sometimes. You judge actions. You go out there in the media, you watch things, and you make up your mind how you feel about it and what you think. You just judged it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. you got to figure out where you stand on issues and what's right and what's wrong. And the thing is with us, we already have a, a, a blueprint that outlines and tells us exactly what's right and wrong. I'm not judging when I say to you today that, that immorality is a sin against God. That's not judging. Well, you do realize what you are involved in is a wretched sin, and you need to repent of it. Don't judge me. I'm not, what? I, I got to be careful how I say it. And I want to do it with the right spirit and right attitude. But my friend, we have apologized so long for what we believe that now we have somehow been somehow programmed to think that we don't even have a right to believe what we say we believe. That the world somehow has a right to tell us, shut your mouth. If you don't agree with us, we don't want to hear from you. Well, I don't want to hear from them. Aren't you tired of hearing from them? telling us what's right all the time and what's wrong and that we have a right to stand up. We have a right to destroy buildings and property and anything else for what we believe. But you be silent and you be careful. Don't you offend anybody. Well, I'm a little fed up with that, my friends. My question is, is this. 
How can someone be put away from among them that was never part of them? See, there are those, the Bible says here in this passage, that are without and those that are within. See, so accordingly, you're either within or you're without. You're either a part of or you're not. Why would someone who's not a part be accountable to those that are? Doesn't make sense. It wouldn't happen. See, I have children in my home who I'm responsible for. And I'm accountable, and, and they're accountable to me. At least that was the day. Now they're grown up. They've all abandoned their mother and father. <laughs> I'm trying to learn to live with it. But truthfully, when the kids were at home, and you have children, many of you have children in your home. We, we had our, our, our baby dedication this morning, and so a number of families that have children in. And you and I know what we're talking about when we've had children. The truth was is this. I wasn't responsible for anybody's kids but mine. And when it was all said and done, I'm responsible for my children, you're responsible for your children. I correct and discipline those within my home, not those without And you know what? That's why there has to be church membership because it would make no sense. How can you excommunicate or remove somebody temporarily, hopefully that's the goal, temporarily from the fellowship if they weren't a part of something already? And that's church membership, a part of the church body, the local visible assembly. Finally, last but not least, submission. Submission. Church membership is implied in the biblical requirement of all Christians to be submitted to a local church pastor. Every believer needs to have a local church pastor. Turn, if you would, over to Hebrews chapter 13. I want to look at, first of all, 13.7. We're almost done. We're, we're, we're number five already. We're, we're coming in for a landing. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 7. He says, Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. We could, if we wanted to, run over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 right now, and we could see that he gave some pastors and some, some apostles, uh, some pastors and teachers and, apostle, uh, and evangelists, I should say, for the edifying of the body, for the perfecting of the saints, sharing the word of God. And here in this case, he says simply, and that's why I don't think there's any question in my mind that this is dealing with pastors. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. It'd be hard for you to know the end of my lifestyle, the end of my living, if you did not see me through life. Local church again. The influence of a local church pastor over a local body. Look at verse, 13, uh, verse 17. <clears throat> he says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Oh, that's right. Hold on. Just cut that one out right now. I'll get an evangelist to come in and say this. Right? Some things pastors aren't allowed to share with their people. Nope, won't go over good preacher. 
It doesn't matter. It's the Bible. So let's see what it says, okay? But it says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, let me ask you something. In your home today, maybe you're a dad, and um, do you want your children to obey them that have the rule over them, to submit themselves to those who watch over their souls? (laughs) Of course you do. How many heads are in your home today? How many heads are there? Sadly enough, there's probably a bunch, right? (laughs) There's, uh, let's see, uh, there's uh, the wife, the husband, one of the kids, um, the local media, dictating, determining things. No, that's dumb. You say, that's crazy, preacher. That's not. I'm the head of my home as a man. I take responsibility and charge, and they're to submit to my authority and my rule. And I'd say, you are absolutely right, sir. Praise God for that. If you recognize that, by the way, you do understand that you'll be held accountable for that rulership too. Sometimes people are like, I wish I was in charge. There's times I wish I wasn't in charge. Because I know one day I'm going to stand before God and I am going to give an account for everything, how it was run and how it was handled here and how I addressed and dealt with people, problems, and situations. Man, I'm going to tell you what, that's a huge responsibility. But he says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls so they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that's unprofitable for you. There needs to be a, a willingness to submit to leadership. Now watch this. If a pastor's been given a specific flock, which we talked about already, then he is the, he, he the under-shepherd. But he's also, the Bible says, has the rule over that. Now the question is, and this is important, because you, 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 better, you better figure this one out. If you're going to be a biblical Christian now, you don't have to do things the Bible way. You'll still get to heaven if you've accepted and received Christ. I mean, I'm not going to try to tell you here that you're going to miss heaven if you don't do things the way the Bible says necessarily. You ought to, and I think the Holy Spirit should be convicting you to. And if you don't have any conviction of the Holy Spirit when you don't do things God's way, my friend, you might want to double check whether really you are a child of God or not. But here's the thing. One of the main reasons every believer has to ensure that God has placed them in a particular local New Testament church is because when we go there and we submit to membership, we are agreeing to and submitting to the God-ordained authority within that ministry. That's a big... Listen, ladies, before you get married, you better think that one through big time because it's the same principle again. When a, a woman decides to marry a man and she stands at the altar, it says, who giveth this woman to be... Uh, who?" Give this woman to be married to this man. And her daddy and, or maybe her mama or both will say, her and her, uh, me and her mother do, or something like that. Wait, what are they saying? There's a transfer of power that takes place that day. That power transfer is from dad's authority uh, over his daughter to now her husband having authority over her life. You say, that's not right. That's not the way it is today. No, that's just the Bible way. And so she falls under his authority. My, my, my point is, listen, before you marry a guy, you better make sure that you're willing to submit to his authority and that you trust him to rule you with kindness and patience and purpose. Right. Amen. 
This idea, well, he's, he kind of pushes me around a little bit. He, he's been a little rough with me before we got married. But I think once we get married, our love will keep us together. Uh-uh. Nah. Nah. Love won't keep you together. I promise you that. Just ask a couple people in the room. I'm sure there's some around here that could tell you about mistakes they've made, and they don't want you to make the same one. We're not knocking people that have had a rough marriage because, listen, most people have had rough marriages. The fact is you better be prepared to deal with the rough times, not just the good ones, because you'll probably have some. And you know what? you got to be prepared. If you're going to submit to marriage, you're saying you're submitting to authority as a woman to a man. My point is, and as a man, you better be prepared to answer to God for that because if you don't answer on earth, you're still going to answer in heaven. But wait a second, you join the local church. Ta-da! This is what the Bible teaches. And so you have to trust your leadership. And that's why I say, you don't enter into church membership without prayerfully seeking the will of the Lord and 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 God's leadership. Because once you make that decision, you have submitted yourself, willfully submitted yourself to the authority, and you say, I haven't, I never did that, then you're not the kind of member you're supposed to be. You're not obedient to the Lord then. I'm not trying to say I know everything and that you don't. I'm just saying that God has placed me as pastor here. And I don't care if it's this church or one down the road. If you enter into a ministry, you are saying, I will submit to the leadership here. That's what the Bible teaches in Hebrews chapter 13. To me, how, that says local church. You can't submit to multiple, and this idea that there's multiple elders that we submit, I don't see it. I don't see it. And it's a trend in our, our, our churches these days. We got rid of that. We passed that up about 40 years ago. And we got right past it. And you know what we're going back to? The same thing. Well, I think that a multiplicity of pastors is much safer because that way there's more opinions, there's more direction, and it's not so authoritarian. Isn't that really what the issue is? It's not authoritarian. You mean just like we don't want anybody telling us what to do today? We want a voice in every decision? Can somebody tell me why our homes are falling apart? Can somebody tell me why our nation is falling apart? Maybe because no, we're struggling with authority today. It's a big factor. It's not the whole thing, but it's a big factor. Okay, off of all that, we're moving on. We're at the conclusion. So what scriptural evidence is there that reveals the need to join and participate in a local New Testament church? One, the body. Two, the shepherding. Three, discipline. Four, excommunication. Five, submission. I read this just today. It's called, This is My Church. This is my church. It is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I am. It will do a great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I am generous. It will bring others into its fellowship if I bring them. Its seats will be filled if I fill them. It will be a church of loyalty and love of faith and service, if I, who make it what it is, am filled with these. Therefore, with God's help, 
I dedicate myself to the task of being all these things I want my church to be. I thought that was pretty good. Boy, I'll tell you what. It's wonderful to be a part of a local church. It's not perfection because it's, there's not perfect people. You're going to have problems. You'll have issues with people. You'll have personality conflicts. There'll be people that you will just hit it off with. There'll be others that you're just like, eh, that don't happen. It's not happening. But let me tell you something. Be real careful. Because, you know, years ago, it was, it's been a number of years now, but that people used to wear these wristbands, right? That said, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Can I tell you that there, though, that's actually a very good question? It got rather trendy, and I'm not so sure that people that were wearing them were really caring what Jesus would do. It's kind of like the football player I heard the other day after the game. He got to talking about the, the game, and, and he kept saying he was so blessed, and then he cussed in the interview, and then at the end he said, I just want to thank my Lord. And I thought, who's your Lord? Because I don't think that was a good thing to say. You just brought a black eye on Jesus Christ, my friend. You should have kept your mouth shut at that point and just went ahead and said, whoops, I messed up. I'm not going to dig a deeper hole. You say, I don't know, preacher. That, well, you have your opinion. I have mine. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Man, I'm having a problem with this person. What would Jesus do? I don't really want to do what Jesus would because that would be uncomfortable for me. That's usually why we don't want to do what Jesus does. We prefer to take care of it our own way. Well, we just don't get along, and that's just fine. I just won't talk to them. They won't talk to me. Let me ask you, what would Jesus do? Is that how he would handle a problem between brothers and sisters? Man, we got to think about this. We are a body. We are not independent of one another. We are connected. We are only as strong as our weakest link. And if there's going to be battles, let's not, let's not have them inside. Let's have them outside the church. And let them be for the right reasons. Let them not be rooted in selfishness or self-centeredness. Or independence of one another. We're not independent. We are united. We are interdependent. Nothing like a local church ministry. Nothing like being a part of the local church. It's what God intended for us. It's a blessing. It's required. It's a necessity. It's biblical. It's scriptural. And it is a blessing. It really is. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We ask, Lord, that you would just encourage us. Lord, we are desperate and we are in need of you. There's no doubt, Father, that we have to follow your leadership. That's really all we are responsible to do, follow your leadership. And then once we find uh, our place with you, it will fall in place with those authorities and that, that you've placed over us. Father, for every teenager, may they recognize your authority, and in doing, they'll recognize the authority of mom and dad. Father, as we, we are employer, employees, we recognize the authority of our employers in that sense. Because we want to do what's right for you, what, what you've called us to do and be. Now, Father, bless your people. May you encourage us. And Lord, we are so grateful today as we gather tonight just to recognize those that have joined and become a part of this church body. And Lord, we're thankful, Father, for those additions. We're thankful for the pieces and parts that you've brought our way so that we are complete as a body at all times. And, and if we work together, we, we fire as one, 
Lord, we can accomplish so much for your glory. Help us, Father, to be effective for you. Now, Father, if there's be anybody that's without Christ today, may they come to him and know him today. And then, Lord, make their decision to become part of a local church where they can, too, be involved and serve. And, Father, obey you in that service. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.